Well, okay. I do believe we are ready to start Judges 2. We uh, just started the book of Judges last week, didn't we? And in that, we, uh, you know that old hymn that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Well, the uh, Israelites sure did that a lot, as we see in the book of Judges. And uh, instead of worshiping uh, the one true God, they wind up serving other gods. It's hard to believe that. It really is hard to believe that. People of God who were so close to the generation that had been delivered and were given all this land. And so the temptation comes to be like the Canaanites now. As they move into their land, they take their land and they want to do what is right in their own eyes. They break the terms of the covenant. It's just simply too great to uh, have to follow. And the grass is definitely not greener on the Canaanite side in the way of the world that they have. God is faithful. They're not. But God continues to be faithful. Why would He remain faithful to these people? I guess the next question is, is why would He be faithful to us? Anyway, that uh, gets it into the proper perspective when we think about that. But uh, what we saw last time, God had commanded them through Joshua to drive the remaining Canaanites out of the land forever. There's still a lot of mopping up to do. They conquered most of the land, but still yet the enemy has isolated pockets just all over the areas. So they're supposed to get them on out of there. And uh, somehow, those Canaanites are making their way back in, kind of hanging out around the edges, and then just coming in, and then the Israelites were allowing them to uh, remain in the land and uh, occupy some of the outlying areas right at the end of the frontier. They just allowed them to do that. So, they're asking for a lot of trouble. Uh, the behavior of the Canaanites is actually, it's despicable. It's more than triple X-rated. They are horrible, evil, wicked people. And the toast in the Old Testament, some of the things they do is just, it's gross it's disgusting to, of how they lived their lives, what they did. Um, I think we'd find it shocking in a way, but yet what goes on in our world today is probably about the same way. Uh, people are so easily and strongly attracted to the Canaanite practices back at that time. And so is this nation that we have. People are attracted to the things of the world and uh, even in the church, we see people being attracted to the very worldly ways that we ought to hate. So, uh, to sin. yeah, attracted to, sin, huh? attracted to sin, but it looks so good. They wouldn't want to call it sin, and probably don't even believe in sin. But uh, there's, of course, you know, you know, think think of pornography there at that time. Think of celebrity worship. You know that. You know that we have that today. It seems like Hollywood stars are the ones who have the great wisdom, and that's what everybody wants to be like. And so, I think that's worship. I think that's worshiping 
other gods, people that are there. Sexualizing and the coarsening of our culture is just beyond belief how far it's gone. So, the same thing that's happening in our world, this is what's happening during the time of the judges and people are attracted to those things. It's called the lust of the flesh. And, uh, you know, the things that uh, we do here today, that's what they did then. We have maybe more technology in a lot of ways. Maybe in some ways not. But uh, none of it's new. The kind of sin that we have here today, it's not new at all. It's always been around. It's definitely uh, around during the time of the judges. that's that's where we're at. That's where we're at in this nation. And uh, we need to pray. We need to pray hard how we can make an impact on this culture because most of them are lost. They don't know the Lord. They're on the side of the devil. They hate everything that we believe in. They call evil good and good evil. And it's like everything. And we used to do that song back in the 80s. Wasn't it early 90s? Yeah. Upside down. Remember that song? And that's so true. That's biblical. That's right out of the scripture. But so we're going to take this chapter too. Uh, we'll divide it up to first part, and it's 15 verses, and it's tying the era of the Canaanites, uh, of the conquest of the Canaanites, to the biblical history that we know of that's going on through the rest of the book of Judges. So it ties with what the conquest was about, which we studied about in Joshua, which was basically good, wasn't it? It was maybe one of the best times of Israel's history ever. And now we're linking it to what's following as we go through uh, Judges. Let's pray. Father, uh, Thank you. You are certainly holy God. We see your faithfulness as we study the book of Judges, but we also see your anger and your wrath against sin, but your grace and your mercy. Uh, it's something to hold. How you are so patient with your people. And if you be patient with those people, then you are still patient with your people now. May we not pursue the Canaanite practices, their way of living, their lifestyle, but but to pursue the very Word of God and that kind of lifestyle that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 2. Chapter 2. And start in... uh, First section that's going to be about five verses. This uh, is kind of tough sometimes to figure out the timing on this. You can't tell whether it is like during the time of Joshua, or it speeds ahead and it's present time in Judges. Sometimes he goes back and he mentions even the death here of Joshua in like around starting at verse six on through ten. And so it goes back a little bit. And we're reminded of some of the things that Joshua had said. He warned them, didn't he? Well, time we get into Judges. They're doing the very things that he warned against. And so that's why they'll refer back to Joshua, the writer here in Judges. So um, 
start off with the first verse. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore I also said I will drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochum, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. Well, there we go. Here's a rebuke. The rebuke comes from the angel of the Lord. We know who that is, don't we? Now, the angel of the Lord starts off with that. Which, in this case, that would be theophany. Um, Theos means what? God. Like theology, that means a study of God, right? Theos is God. And uh, ophany would be dealing with an uh, appearance. This is an appearance of God. Um, A manifestation. It would be pre-incarnate. Do we know what pre-incarnate is? Before, pre is before, right? Before he became incarnate or in the flesh. Before he was born in the flesh that we know of, God appeared to people occasionally through in the Old Testament in a theophany. Uh, he came as an angel <coughs> or a... In, you know something in that sense. He's and so in this sense, he's called the angel of the Lord. Sometimes you'll see other passages where there are angels, an angel of the Lord, maybe that would be a regular angel. In this case, this would be the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, and it happens in Judges a couple other times. Go to Judges six, where you have a character by the name of Gideon. It says in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, that it was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Bezerite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat and the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord, or Yahweh, is with you, O valiant warrior. Anyway, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Anyway, who's Gideon speaking to? Pre-incarnate Christ. He gives a message to Gideon. Gideon's going to be a judge here. Uh, Gideon is one. Why me? So that's one. There's another one in chapter 13. And it's a famous one. Be dealing with uh, Samson and in verse uh, three. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Now this would be Samson's mother to be. Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. So. She gets visited by 
angel of the Lord. And you look in verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him when he came from, nor did he tell me his name. Anyway, tells a prophecy. God could have used a regular angel. And some would probably argue, well, that's just a, a big important angel. But whenever you usually see the angel of the Lord, it's safe to say that uh, this is pre-incarnate Christ. Go to Exodus 3. It deals with Moses. There are certain times when God appears to man and speaks. 3.2 is the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses, in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire yet the bush was not consumed and if you look down in uh, uh, verse 4 you know, the bush is not burned up Moses is wondering what's going on verse 4 says when the Lord Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses, Moses and he said here I am so again, there's another uh, uh, visit from God. Chapter 14, verse 19. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So the cloud by day, fire by night, who is right there with him all the whole time? Christ. <laughs> the angel of God. The angel of the Lord. The messenger. Angel, really, in Greek is angelos. Angel, angelos. means messenger. But uh, And he's definitely coming and giving them a message. <coughs> but he's giving an appearance. A uh, very uh, appropriate time. So go back to uh, Judges. And uh, continue on with this. He came up from Gilgal to Bokim. You guys remember Gilgal? Whenever they came to the Promised Land, and of course they defeated Jericho and such. Where did they camp out at? Gilgal, right? Uh, at that camp also were the 12 stones. Remember the 12 stones in memorial of what God had done for them? At Gilgal was the first Passover as they came over into the promised land. They had it there. Where was the first circumcision at? It was at Gilgal. Is this a pretty significant place? I believe so. Definitely. And they knew the only way they could be victorious is because they knew that God was with them. Gilgal is that kind of place that was really where they, uh, they had started. And God gave them victory all the way through. But you have a place where they went to is Bokim. You probably won't find that on the map. You probably see Gilgal on your map if you're looking at the, the maps of this particular time period. 
But Bokim, we don't know where it's at. But we do know what it means. It means a place of weeping. So he came from the place that was so meaningful. And he goes to a place where they will weep. It's kind of a repentance. Uh, Heartfelt tears. Uh, A word of judgment is brought to them. So that's how they take it, which is really about the last time they're really going to have a heartfelt repentance, even though they do cry out to be delivered, but it's not a very long-lasting repentance at all. It says, um, and he said, I, and there's another reason why we'd say this angel of the Lord is God, I brought you up out of Egypt. That's God, isn't it? And led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this, of this land. You shall tear down their altars. Then he says, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Oh, I have to stop there. God is always faithful to his covenant, isn't he? Always, He never breaks covenant. He's always faithful. Israel breaks the covenant. <coughs> anyway, that's what he's saying to them. And they had not only allowed the Canaanites to remain in their midst, but they, um, they didn't destroy the Canaanite religious shrines that were around. They should have just destroyed those. Kind of like what... They're just—it's just absolute disobedience. They've not obeyed the voice of the Lord, the terms of the covenant. And do you notice that one phrase or question right at the end of verse two? What is this you have done? Now, God is all knowing, right? Why is He asking the question? Does He not know? What they've done, of course see, he does. See, they know what they've done. <laughs> That's right. Have you seen this one before? Go back to Genesis. Says, Why have you done this? What is this you have done? Uh, yeah. the it's basically same, you know. It's a uh oh. <laughs> it gets their attention. And and you've heard that as a kid too, haven't you? You did something, and your parents would say. What, what did you do? What did you do? <laughs> there we go. It's like, I yeah, think well, they, well, they already well. know. Yeah. This is really tough to say. What are we talking about? Nothing. Clarify. Which one? Okay, Genesis 3.13. God says, uh, who told you that you were naked, right? God's asking any questions here. Uh, he first said in verse 9, Where are you? Now, does God know where they're at, of course? He knows what they've done. And of course, he says, I heard the sound of the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And then he said, Well, who told you that you were naked? So there's another question. Right? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He asked another question. Boy, he's getting pinpointed, isn't he? The man said, The woman you gave to me with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this you have done? There we go. Same thing. This is God asking the Israelites, what is this you have done? What have you done? What happened here? That's the idea. Uh, God asks questions sometimes, but it's for us to get attention and to admit you know what? our sin. I'll, I'll bet as, as intelligent as Adam and Eve both came to have been, I don't think they could have possibly imagined what they had actually <laughs> begun. They, it's yeah. the same Dude. many sin that we commit. I don't think we can at all see what possibly What is the depth if uh, little bitty sin, it seems like. How big is it really? Whew, yeah, surprise. Well, anyway, go to verse 3 of our Judges. Good way to start out a chapter, isn't it? Therefore, because of this, I also said... I will not drive them out before you. Now, he's, that's what he's done all along, hasn't he? That's how come they won. He drove them out. You know, They did their little thing, but it was him doing it. Uh, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. Well, it already had become. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voice and wept. Does this sound like Sunday when we did the deal with, with Peter? Here we are again. The Lord is speaking. This is really Christ. And He's speaking to them. And it's just like He's looking them in the eye. It's like, you know, He could have asked Peter in a way without even asking Him. Just by looking, He's like, Peter, what is this you have done? As he gave a look, and that gave him the opportunity to see a little bit of what he had done. Uh, consequences. Well, that's the same thing Audrey was just sitting there saying. That's why Jesus did that with Peter, was to make him think, you know, somebody just mentioned to you, like, yeah, 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 yeah. They'll forget about it. But if you keep three times, you keep asking them upon your, you're getting a point across to them to the depths of how what they really did really coming face to face with that sin and how badly you know how deep it how bad it was yep well um, they do cry out from the heart yeah, cry out I to the Lord know. I don't know I ain't behind this <laughs> they weep bitterly why? Because they got caught? <laughs> I think the repentance here is genuine. I think it is. Yeah. They respond. I think it is, and I think that, you know, again, like Audrey said, you know, they've got an idea of how bad this was, what they did, but they had no idea how perfect Israel could have been, except for this. Right. It could have been perfect. It could have been so good. It could have been. It was going good. All these years of war and nastiness that they've gone yeah. through. All of that could have been yeah. nothing. 
So they didn't realize that, but they did realize, I think, that uh oh. But is it good that the angel of the Lord came to them and did that? It's always good when he comes and says, You need to repent. <laughs> it's always good when the Lord convicts us. So they wept. They named the place Bokim, which is kind of a sorrowful thing, but uh, that's the idea. This is to all the people? Yeah. But nobody knows where that place is at. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's going to do that when he comes back. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how that's going to work. But these other instances that you looked at, were, were any of them to own people? Usually it's like more of it to seemed like Sarah Abraham. It seemed like he did that. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. I thought back in Joshua he did it. He talked about it anyway. Maybe, maybe in Joshua. But then it happened very often. Soon. Yeah. Soon. When the cloud and the fire, when they came out of Moses, when they came out of Egypt, that was before the whole people. He didn't talk to them. No. He talked to them. No, they were terrified. I don't know how I did this. But he definitely got the message across. And it won't be long that they will be far more like the Canaanites than they can even imagine. They don't want to be like the Canaanites. But they will. So there's the first five verses. Now, in 6 through 13, it's really kind of a summary here. I've got it on the outline as a summary of the situation of Israel as Judges begins here. Still in the beginning time of this book and time period of that. You've got Joshua dying here. Again, which that happened to Joshua already, right? But it's mentioned here at this time. So it says, when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance, possessed the land. So we're really we're going back and dying now. Those first five verses now we're just going to kind of look back. So they went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That was good. And it's recovering it. Uh, what was happening at that time? It's, it's good times. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So the judgment didn't start during the time right after Joshua died. There were still the elders that had lived on. Maybe the same age as Joshua, maybe a little less, but they're pretty old elders. (laughs) Uh, But the time still was stretched out. It was good even during that time. They saw the work of the Lord. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They burned him 
They, sorry, they buried him in the territory. That's what we do today, right? They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that generation is like dying out. That's the generation that was so good. And there rose another generation. Here we go. This sets it up now. After them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. That little line there says a lot. It kind of reminds me of what could happen to our nation. Because the generation that's underneath us has pretty well lost all the things of God. Uh, I think of the teens, the twenties, the thirties. A lot of them started leaving the church long time ago. Never made it in, did they? As a whole. That doesn't mean it's all like that, but as a whole, uh, it's not like what it was decades ago when almost everybody knew what church was, knew who Christ was in some sense knew who God was in some... I'm not saying everybody was believers. But there was a church, it seems like, going on on every, what, corner? We still have a lot of the churches they today. Wanted, but they're they, dying out. They wanted you to think they went to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you, you don't want anybody to know that, you, if, yeah, that you'd to go be, to church. You wanted people to think you went to church if they weren't going very often. Well, and a lot of people were going to church because it kind of, you know, looked good. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Right. Least for, if you yeah, were going to yeah. be a politician, then you had to go to church because that was the proper thing. That's right. Yeah. City Even, aldermen or you know city officials, they were churchgoers because uh, that's a, a member of like mm-hmm. what First Baptist Church or I mean they were Christians, yeah. but they were going to church. Right. <laughs> that's right. But now that's even nobody cares. People notice in the driveway who's Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> now there's like, oh, oh, good time to sleep in. Yeah. So, what we have in that little section there is, uh, it's kind of a recapitulation of Joshua 24, which is right at the end of Joshua, just like a page or two back. Right. 28 through 31, somebody's death, living 210, almost word for word. So it's just telling, okay, here's, here's where it's at. And, and we get now to the, uh, the root of Israel's troubles as we get ready to, to move on. You have the death of Joshua. That's one sign of what's going to happen as they lead, lose their leader. Another generation, the next generation, they had not wandered in the wilderness they weren't a part of that at all. They hadn't witnessed any of the things that God had done in delivering the people and putting them into the promised land and getting the victory. They didn't necessarily hear about these things. If they did, they didn't know much about it. Uh, maybe they heard about the things, but they really weren't maybe taught that much. Or they were taught and they rebelled against it. I don't know. But they never participated in any of the national prayer revivals that they would have that Joshua would lead. Remember when 
it was like a kind of a feast time in a way, and they come together, a renewal ceremony, where he'd get the people all together, and then they read the word, and uh, he'd give them warnings and talk about what God had done. Well, this generation didn't experience any of that. One generation. That's how quick it was. Let's see, they went into the land. They conquered the land. Joshua lives like maybe 25 more years. So within, and it's still going good. And then things start breaking. And the next generation is now coming into play here. Um, Joshua, all the elders, they'd seen the mighty deeds of God. They obeyed the covenant. They enjoyed all the blessings. Can you imagine the blessings that they had? Wow, it's tremendous. The days of the elders continued on a little bit after Joshua. And then they all die out. They're all done. Next generation now is the people that we're going to be dealing with. I feel like you're talking about today. Who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's left in That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. the next generation. But this didn't, you know, like you're, so you had all the people, and then you had Joshua and some of the people, the older people, and then you had the elders and the older people, and there's fewer and fewer of them. And so God continued to bless until they were all gone. Just like on the other side, whenever they were out in the wilderness, and those other people they all that were unfaithful to God, they all died out there. Joshua, Caleb, you know, went on into the land. But the but that generation then was with them. Yeah, now they're all died out. because they were faithful to God, and He blessed them. Because they they waited all that time out there for that generation to die, so they could be blessed. So here, then they get blessed. Now the next generation, yeah, they don't care. Don't see the big deal. You know, uh, I think about our parents. Most of us here uh, have parents that have well gone on, or they're getting really old, and then we got those two guys back there, and they have parents that are younger than me, way younger. <laughs> so that's a little different. But for most of us, we've we've lost our parents, or what? In Audrey's case, you still have your mother around. And so, at the same time, it's like that generation. Okay. She just said a quick prayer for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 okay, she looked that way because her mom's not all there anymore. Oh, there we go. Okay, <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah, before their body is still functioning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yep. Um, Anyway, I think that generation, even though they went some, through some trying times, some of them through, what, the uh, 20s and 30s, maybe as they were kids, maybe. It's hard times, but, you know, they went through a lot of good times, too. There were wars, but overall, this was a nation that at least had a moral compass 
We still have that there. We're trying to keep it together, what, but the enemy I mean, is striking at it. I, I think of it this way. <coughs> My dad did live through World War II and Hitler. And what are we doing now? Mm-hmm. It's like the next generation is seeing mm-hmm. socialism, Hitler done all, all over again. I mean, and they want it. Right? They, yeah. they you want you it. But the very thing we're talking about, though, too, that you're probably going to, is the, per- the persecution. If the persecution has to come to this nation to drive those people that do know the truth, that generation, back into the will of God, then I guess we'd have to say so be it. Because they don't really understand the what was given for the Word of God to exist and for the churches to exist. But they just thought that was just kind of come and go, you know, lucky go lightly kind of attitude towards church. Yeah, they really have no respect right. they do not for what God has done, what His Word is about. They really don't. Right. If we can identify with this old ancient book, can we? Yeah, sure can. So, the nature of Israel's problems is found in 11 through 13. The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. So there we go. This is the nature of the problem. They forsook the Lord. You turn your back on the Lord. You serve somebody. As the song says, you got to serve somebody. You only serve God. Serve the devil. They serve Baal. Just really, uh, that's serving Satan. Baal means Lord, Master, Owner. Even husband, somebody who is lording it over other. That's what Baal is. And he really refers to weather, storms. He's like a fertility god. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, The people, like the Canaanites, relied upon Baal to provide bounty for the land. That's why Mother Baal Earth. was so huge to them. Mother Earth. They call it Mother Earth. Yeah. It's shocking. You know, the worship Baal and the worship Ashtaroth, what that involved, uh, you know, you think, uh, Baal came from, be like his father was El. You've heard of El. El is God. So Baal comes from El, which means the Almighty One. El, the Almighty One. And Asherah, which is the goddess of uh, love and war. <laughs> Quite a combination there, isn't it? So you have a, a god mythology here. It's dealing with the weather and blessing them or cursing them, depending on how they did. So they're so-called gods. Uh, there were other gods in the land there. It was called, one of them was Mot, and that was the god of death. 
it's nice to have, isn't it? The god of death. And then Yom, which is the god of the sea. That's some of the gods that they had. Baal is right at the top, though. And so he manifested weather. Fertility is the idea there. And so the people would rely upon him to have nice, fertile land, blessings to have children, a lot of children, fruitful land, and they did. It's, it's like, wow. These pagans live in a land that is just amazing. The Israelites had just come out of the desert. Of course, they grew up here, now this generation. But they'd been in Egypt, which is basically desert. This is farmland. Israel didn't know the likes. So, and it's just a great area for that. It's great for... Can you imagine? The people are looking at the land and they're going, you know, they got it pretty good here. Look at this. Look what, you know. So they, the God that they worship must be something doing. So what they do is they adapt Baal to go alongside the true God. Because they were taught some things about the true God. But let's take in Baal and we'll make sure that we have the blessing of the land, the fertility. Are you getting it there now? Does this make any sense? It's a prosperity thing. And so, that's why it's so attractive. The the land was so awesome is because it was a promised land. It was God's land. That's right. It was really His. He had it set up for them. So, you have Baal, and you have Ashtaroth, which is really Baal's female counterpart there, companion. Um, Baal and Ashtaroth. Oh, yeah. And that's what this is all about. That's really what the sexuality in here is astounding. And and they would rep, be represented by all the altars all over the land. Well, when the Israelites went in there, they chased the people out, but a lot of the altars were not destroyed. So there were stone carvings of a grossly uh, exaggerated genitalia. That's the, I mean, it just up front. This is just absolute awful pornography and the statues and everything around and, and then the altars and this is what the first generation sees. They think it's pretty neat, pretty cool. And they start joining into it. Now this is turning their back on the very God who had provided for their needs all the way. Even out in the desert when they had nothing there, he gave them what every day? manna every day provided but these people have their gardens and their fields with all the fruits and vegetables and boy what a blessing that they have first generation says Canaan's pretty good what's so bad about them don't they know that they Israel came in there and pretty well wiped them out to get this but uh, they say, hey, their God provides lots of kids. Good weather, fertile fields, 
productive harvest. And just as said a while ago, God is the one who provided all that. But anyway, they have all this, they prostrated themselves before these carved pornographic rocks as pagan shrines. This is hideous. It is hard to imagine people who knew about God are doing this. See, see why God is very, very angry. Oh, it's easy to rationalize. Yeah, because it's well. Look, it's it's good. It's good. And you know what? I don't think they know the word. I don't think they know much history. I think history got lost. What happens if you lose history? Well, they didn't have our, a temple. They weren't worshiping anywhere. What were the Levites doing? The well, time? they're. That, Debbie, you hit it on the head. That, and in a moment we're going to see that God gives them judges. But the judges delivered them, but they did nothing for them spiritually. Absolutely nothing for the most part. But who should be doing that? The Levites. They didn't do it. They're not teaching. They still have the tabernacle, yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, that was a pretty... Imposing place. So, what did they think was going on there? Just, was, was, I the just, Gil, was Gilgal where the tabernacle would have been at this time still? Well, that's where they had camped and. Um, it does some sacrificing, and, and the Lord it had been the Lord moved came around. Out from yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that kind of, that represented like it's the. It's sad to watch history repeat itself. And you know what? Nothing new is under the sun. The whole idea of history. <laughs> if you write out oh. history, which is what the public schools have done, they have totally taken out history yeah. that is true, yeah. put in stuff that's Hollywood, it's all fake and made up, has nothing to do with what was real history, and once they lose the history, you, your country doesn't mean anything. No and it's just here in America they've done that, because in Japan... The bombing of Pearl Harbor was totally written out of their history. Right. Well, you know, it looks so, like oh, what we did to them was horrible. But here, well, the bombing stuff—it was it's, horrible. But it's been written out of our history books too. Yeah. Now we yeah. we can't talk bad about the Japanese. We can't talk bad about the Germans. So all of that Holocaust stuff is written out of them. In fact, they just said they're taking down another statue. Yep. I think in Alabama oh. or something because it's history and it's history, and then yep. so that's God. They've already taken several away and that was history. And whether it was good or bad, this is history. history. It is a monument. It's for a memorial. And once you take those out, now you have nothing to hold on to. And all of a sudden, people who do not like this country, for instance, and I believe there are literally millions, 100 million at least, that do not like this country at all and would love to have it destroyed and rework it back up. Yeah, many of them are living there. And, and it's like, why do they live here if they don't like... But see, they don't know anything about the history, and they don't care, because this is us now. But if you don't have that basis, that foundation, the Constitution, and now let's take it spiritually, our Constitution is the Word of God. Without people having roots 
of this, and then history of the church. Most people, and we've talked about history of the church a lot here, maybe not as much as we should. I try to get it in a lot because that is important. Here's where we came from. Here's here's persecution of the church, but look how God wove His truth through that and Reformation and all that time period. It's very important. History means a lot. Well, these people in one generation lost it. And they didn't care. And so, therefore, the consequences in 14 and 15, it says... uh, Anger the Lord burned against Israel. He gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. He just gave them into the enemy who are worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. Wow. As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. So what are the consequences? God gives them into the hands of the plunderers. He says, okay, you want that? You got it. There, you want the false gods? You got it. Go at it. And then, (laughs) they're severely distressed. They get to the point of, we don't want this anymore. Now, we go to another part here, which is where the Lord raises up the judges. God pronounces judgment, brings it on, and then He comes back with mercy. This is wonderful. This is God. Holy God can do this. Then the Lord raised up the judges. There we go. This is what this book is called, isn't it? The judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their croning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and He said, Because this nation has transgressed My covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua, in the hand of the people of Israel. Or you know, here it was, Joshua did his thing. But now they don't have that. He left them in their slavery, kind of. Yeah. But they kept walking, though. 
So, now, when you think of judges, you think of uh, a jury and a courtroom and black robes and such. But Israel's judges are not really that. They're the, uh, the chieftains. They're the, the head. They're the deliverers of them. They will lead them into battle and lead them into victory. When God raises up a judge, that's really what they're meant to do. Now, there might be decisions that they would make between times where there needs to be judgments and such, but that's really not what their problem or or what their uh, issue was about. They were to rescue Israel and deliver them from the nations and their slavery that they were getting into. Um, They really do nothing to address the people's real problem, though. They really didn't do the spiritual thing, which is really what it's about. You know, I don't see any hope of this nation getting any better with the way that it has done in the in my lifetime, and especially in the last, what, 30 years. But you know what? It could, by God. I don't give up on that. I pray for this nation that it would turn back to God. But without God, you know, see, those people that are leftist, they think they're going to make a better world. And if you can get out our kind of thinking, it would be a lot better. We don't want to hear about sin. You know, we don't, whatever's good, it's actually bad. Whatever's really bad is, to them, really good. Okay, so whatever is right in their own mind. What is right in their own eyes, they don't have a foundation. Right, we're not going to do it like that. Oh, by the way, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to be like Cuba or Venezuela. Yeah, this is going to be democratic socialism. Yes, democratic socialism. And if you look at what people write, they're saying their eyes aren't open. They don't see it. They don't think they're going to be affected. They think they're going to be better. And it's like, no, you're going to be affected to the worst. And that's the whole, that's what I sit there and kind of like going. How do you think they should not see? Yeah. How do you think destroying a whole economy? They cannot see. I can see you wanting to take over something that's good, but you want to take over something that's been destroyed? I find that a bit odd. To, you know. They can't see it. <laughs> they, well, you know what? They're blinded, blinded by the God of this world, Satan. Yeah. And they cannot see it. They if only see. we could somehow intellectually convince them but that they can't do that that doesn't happen that goes back to what's happening now all these people are so mad about it and they're not mad they're not mad about that they're out there stealing yeah they're just looking for a free ride you know it's not even about that anymore it's destruction isn't it it's nothing good and they're not helping anything they don't care. It's about this. It has nothing to do. It's me, myself, and I. It's not making anything better. It doesn't make any sense. I think the world has lost it's its mind. Love and, yeah. and Satan is so blind to them that so anything well. that is good, they, they don't want. It. They can't. They wouldn't know if it was. Now, there's certain things like that that probably wouldn't make sense. Good food. You know, we like good food. They they will eat the same thing we do. But I mean, in the way of thinking, you know, ideas have consequences. Sure. 
does. Well, you just we read to the end of the chapter, we really did it, we see that God will be moved to act on their behalf throughout the rest of this book, even despite where they're at, because He knows where, what the problem is. Some of them will trust in Him. But as a whole, the nation is its a waste. So there was a consequence. What's that? He always has his room. <laughs> yes. yep. Always has. Always will. And it will not give them victory. How can we apply this then? Number one, there's a canonization going on at that time there. Uh, same here. The pornographic statues and pagan and imaginary gods and they're being provided for the necessities of life by going after Baal. They abandon God and go to apostasy. To apostatize means to stand against. Apo, to, to, to be away from. To stand away. That's apostasy. And it can happen quickly. How quickly did it happen here? One generation. Thirdly, they needed a king. They're going to go with the judges for quite a while. But they need a king. David is a picture of the king. He, he was the best king they had. But he's still a man. But there's one coming. That is Jesus Christ. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. That's who they need. That's the only way that they could have changed by looking at Christ. And there they had, as we look at it today, Christ came to them. The angel of the Lord came and spoke to them. They had a pre-incarnate. People would say, yeah, but Jesus wasn't alive yet. He came to them. He spoke. He was been since the beginning. What are you talking about? <laughs> they have found